You are Locked On MLB, your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKDOWN. You'll get $10 off your first order. This show is available on the free and easy-to-use Himalaya podcasting app, and it's being dropped on the 19th day of June 2020. And we're bringing in Todd Radom, author and frequent contributor of the ESPN Baseball Tonight podcast. We're going to talk uniforms, and I'm going to try to stump them with some trivia. You can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnMLB underscore net, Instagram at LockedOnMLB. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And when you're staying home and being smart, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on mlb or check out some of the other great shows of the locked on podcast network including locked on fantasy baseball now todd radom is a popular writer and contributor as i mentioned on espn's baseball tonight podcast he's someone who i've known for a little bit is a guest on the old Sully baseball podcast and he was a guest on the boulder a minute podcast which i do and while we were talking and going over what we do, we went on several tangents that really had nothing to do with the movie Bull Durham, but I thought were really interesting. I decided to share them with you, the listeners of Locked On MLB. We talked a little bit about an upcoming book that he's writing called Winning Ugly, which is about bad uniforms. And then he often tries to stump Buster Olney and all of them with trivia. So in the second half of the show, I try to stump him with a little bit of trivia. So please enjoy part of my conversation with author and designer Todd Radom. My, my first book was published two years ago called Winning Ugly. And it is a loving homage to the most questionable uniforms in the history of Major League Baseball. And I love, by the way, I think Winning Ugly is great. And Winning Ugly, for those of you who don't know what that is specifically referring to, is that in 1983, the Chicago White Sox made it to the postseason for the first time in generations, the first time since 1959. They had a wonderful season playing in the old rickety green and yellow Comiskey Park. And they wore uniforms that were so ugly that they came full circle back to beautiful. It was, you know, kind of like how Humphrey Bogart is aesthetically not a pleasant looking man, and yet he's so great, he feels handsome and beautiful. That's what those uniforms were. They were the Humphrey Bogarts of baseball. They had socks, SOX, not white socks, socks across their chest like Logan's run. Uh, their hat had a white front of the cap so it looked like a trucker cap their uniform number was on their leg it was bizarre looking uniform and some wonderful hall of famers like carlton fisk wore that uniforms Seaver wore that uniform steve carlton wore that. all these wonderful people wore this horrific uniform that i'm transfixed by and i assume that would be high up there in your so beautiful so ugly it's beautiful list there Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you, you just 
teed it up for me perfect, perfectly, Sully. That's what uh, I do. The, the, yeah, exactly. A nice, flat, 94-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle. Jabba Chamberlain-style, uh, uh, fast right down the middle, easy to hit. <laughs> I always say when it comes to this stuff, ugly is in the eye of the beholder. And your Humphrey Bogart analogy uh, rings true to me. I had a bulldog uh, once mm -hmm. upon a time named Casey. And I would take Casey for a walk, and Casey was a 50-pound ball of mozzarella, you know, with the saggy jowls and all that stuff. And, and people would come up and want to pet her, and she was the most gentle thing. And there were more than one time along the way, there was more than one time, when somebody said, she's so ugly, she's beautiful. So the White yeah. Sox 1983 look falls into that category. The Houston Astros rainbow uniforms of the mm -hmm. 70s, 80s, Hall of Famers in that department. Oh, yeah. Also, the, the Padres, brown and yellow, the taco uniforms. That, Those are great. Those are great. You know, and I, I always say I'm a, uh, I'm a child of the 70s. I grew up at a time observing these looks uh, when it was a, a period of experimentation and just sort of a joyous in, injection of color into the sport that we love. And so all of these quote-unquote ugly uniforms, I have a great deal of affection for, and they have been very instrumental in, uh, in, in uh, affecting my career in a positive way. You know the author Dan Epstein of uh, Big Karen Plastic Grass, right? And, Ew, and yeah. Well, he's been a guest on this podcast as well, and we have talked about that because I am somewhat – I have a chip on my shoulder – that baseball nostalgia has been the sole ownership of post-World War II baseball. That when you think, oh, what's traditional, what's old-timey stuff, that's what you gravitate towards. And there was a movement, kind of a phony movement in the 90s to make everything feel old-timey. Like they went back to the button-down, all the new stadiums, which were great, but they all started to look, ironically, they all started to look alike after a while. And all the uniforms became very conservative. And I grew up with bright, colorful uniforms in cookie-cutter ballparks. And that's my nostalgia. And yeah. I've been watching, like, on, you know, the A's when they had the bright green bright yellow, white uniforms, and there was no rhyme or reason. The Pirates basically had, must have had a, two spinners that they spin at the beginning of each game. Okay, we're going pinstripe pants, yellow shirt. Got it. Wear it. There's no, there was absolutely no uh, method to this madness. And the first World Series I ever watched was the 79 where oh. you had the bright orange of the Orioles, the yellow, black, and stripes of the of Pittsburgh, and of course, nothing looked brighter or more orange than Don Stanhouse's hair, and <laughs> that's what I grew up with. So the idea that people, I, I like that we're starting to see crazy uniforms or interesting color schemes coming back because nothing to me was worse than seeing the Astros wearing pinstripes with a cursive Astro font said, that's not the Astros. Yeah. They're supposed yeah. to look like George Jetson. Well, you know, a couple of things that I would add there, uh, and I actually do cover this in the book. So our conception of what is nostalgic, I think it runs in waves. And it depends, obviously, on how old you are. If you and I had this conversation with a 15-year-old, 
you know, their sense of nostalgia is grounded in a very different place than yours or mine. But the 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 gauzy, you know, the gauzy nostalgia of Willie, Mickey, and the Duke uh, was really brought forth by people who came of age, uh, you know, the, the oldest of the baby boomers, right, uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And if you think of how old those people were then, right, and, and how uh, influential they were, what their buying power, purchasing power was at the time, um, you know, I think it, it informs a lot of this. And I think that also, you know, when, when uh, I always look to Mitchell and Ness, the great purveyor and manufacturer of, of, uh, of, of throwback uniforms. So when they first hit big in the very early 90s, they were producing, you know, beautiful Dodgers, Giants, and Yankees flannels for the people I just talked about. Well, that shifted uh, very rapidly uh, when you know hip hop and rap stars started wearing some of these crazy looks from you know from the seventies and eighties that you and I talked about. Right. And and whatever the definition of nostalgia was, took a very defined turn at that time. And uh, and I do talk about this in the book too. Um, you know, the eighties when when baseball started to look backwards on the field of play. So the Red Sox abandoned their pullovers uh, after the Bucky Dent game. So yeah. 1979, mm-hmm. the Red Sox go back to button downs. 1987, there were, I think, seven or eight teams that went traditional, went back to buttons. The Athletics, the A's became the Athletics again. Right. And the Astros, rainbow guts are, you know, go away. And those White Sox uniforms that we started to talk about, all of these at the same time. What's going on? It's the Reagan Revolution. It is a time of conservatism right. sweeping our, our popular culture and the nation. And it was very much reflected in the aesthetics of the national pastime. And you think about two other uniforms. I'm currently wearing a Mariner's hat, which has the trident with a star on it. And that was the time the Mariners switched to having the S and the block letter Mariners to be nostalgic for a time that didn't exist for a Seattle Major League franchise. The White Sox went from those garish uniforms to the Curse of Sea. The Padres went from the Gary Coleman kid from left field, uh, yellow and brown uniforms to an understated brown with pinstripes and a different font there. You're right. The A's went to just uh, gray and white instead of having the, yeah. you know, the, the different combinations. And... Uh, and pretty soon, and the Cardinals, remember, the Cardinals had had the pullover with the belt as part of the pants, and not long after that, they went to button-down as well. And Cincinnati, not long after they won the World Series, did the same. Uh, and, oh, and the Phillies. The Phillies went from their, that, the kind of the cursive P look they had during the Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Greg Luzinski years, to going back to the 50s font the Phillies on that. That was a couple of years after that, but you're right. Everything yeah. seemed to become more nostalgic for that sort of post-World War II baseball. And the Braves brought back the tomahawk because remember they did, they did not have the tomahawk during the first bunch of years in Atlanta. They went back to the uniforms oh. that they wore in Milwaukee. Right. And that was 1987. So that big, That's uh, big reversion to what was 1987 so much of that takes place right then, and there is a reason for it. At the same time, the licensing of baseball is becoming more sophisticated. 
right? So there's a business model where it's being responsive to what people are looking for. And that's what people were looking for at that time. And of course, it's been like this for a while. And, you know, baseball more than any other sport, I think it's fair to say, you know, we, we view through the, the prism of this sepia tone lens. Yeah. Uh, maybe you and I might not. <laughs> but there is something truly beautiful about some of those uniforms that existed before we were around, the World War II ones. They start to get a little bit boring when you go back further than that. Right. But, uh, but they're certainly not uh, vibrant and colorful. And, yeah, I mean, it's nostalgia. As I said a little while ago, it runs in waves. So you really do think, uh, you know, what we're seeing in other sports. Think about the enthusiasm, for example, of the 90s uniforms of the NBA, right? Right, right. You know, grew up with that. So I don't know. We're, we'll, we will see what happens. Well, I also think that there's, you know, I like nostalgia when it's, it's based on something sincere. That's what the Astros uniform got me a little miffed when they went to pinstripe and, and the traditional look, and that's not the look and feel of your team. But baseball has an illusion that it's timeless, that the past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously in a way. There's always remembrances. You can't say, hello, how are you, to a Yankee fan without them saying 27 titles. And yes and with images of DiMaggio and Garrick and Ruth and images of, you know, Stan Musial and everyone you go to Cardinal games. So that's kind of like your, your, the illusion is you're jumping into a river midstream. I'm going to go to one of your designs because I didn't realize till about 10 minutes ago or one <laughs> or 10 minutes before you and I had this call that you designed the Brooklyn Cyclones logo. I did. And it's one of my favorites. Talking about, Talking about nostalgia in baseball, Brooklyn, Brooklyn got a baseball team. I was living in New York at the time, so thrilled to go see a game in Brooklyn. And Rob Paravonian, comedian and guest on a few episodes, we used to go many times a year to Coney Island, and we had <clears throat> he has the, the shirt, I had the shirt with your logo on it. I didn't realize I was wearing a Radom. Look at that. Yeah, and, and it's one of my favorite projects for a few reasons. Here, you know, it made sense to tap into that nostalgia, right? Because we're creating something out of nothing. And especially for, for I mean, I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, and Coney Island, you know, and, and Brooklyn in general really, you know, fell into a, a dark place. The Warriors. <laughs> After the Dodgers left. So that, that whole thing is shrouded in a certain kind of nostalgia. But, uh, you know, Coney Island today versus the Coney Island that you're talking about going to see the Cyclones play at back in 2001, 2002, whatever. Uh, it's, it's really uh, come a long way. A lot of people feel it's too plastic and gentrified now. But uh, I love the Cyclones because it was about, uh, again, you know, creating something from scratch, tapping into some meaningful uh, piece of where I come from. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's, it's held up well over the years and that doesn't always happen. Well, look at, I loved going there and getting a Nathan's hot dog and, and getting a clam roll. And we actually did ride the cyclone. And let me tell you something, uh, your back is shot after that. Oh. that <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the last time I rode the cyclone. It's going to be about 10 years ago. Uh -huh. So I go out to a game with, uh, with a few college buddies and, uh, you know, Maybe we had a few beers and a few of those Nathan's hot dogs. Sure. And it's a beautiful summer night. And after the game, one of one of my friends who will remain nameless 
uh, who who says, "Come on, let's do it. Let's go. I'll pay for it. What do you got? You guys are so." So we go on this thing, and this is getting late, late in the season. Uh, it is, you know, getting toward Labor Day, and this thing was just like the fillings were coming out of your mouth after it was all over. And I, I described it to uh, a friend of mine who is a roller coaster enthusiast and a New Yorker who said to me, geez, that is just crazy. You know why that is? It's a wooden roller coaster. They oil it at the beginning of the season, and then they let it go. So basically, we hit the thing at its roughest. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know when I hit it, but I, my, it was like 2002, and I still can feel it in my lower back. It, hey. it was like entry of the entry of you know, Apollo. <laughs> exactly. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Hey everyone, it's your pal Sully. I'm sitting here recording the Built Bar ads, and I realize I have three flavors here. And I had the Raspberry Chocolate Cream, which is my favorite Built Bar flavor. And my son Aiden said, I want to try that, right? Right. So I'm not going to give you this. What? Tell me what you think. Mm, that's, that's pretty good. That's right. That's right. So now my son Aiden has tried the raspberry chocolate cream, the German chocolate cake, and the mint brownie delight. And my son Maddie is still chowing down. Which one are you shoving into your pie hole? Uh, the mint one. Yeah, he's putting the mint brownie delight into the hole he keeps in the front of his face. But let me tell you something. The raspberry chocolate cream, which is my favorite, has only 110 calories, 15 grams of protein, 6 grams of fibers, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of fat. It's Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar out there. And if you want to get in on this, and why wouldn't you? Then what you got to do is you got to go to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on, you get $10 off your first order. And you can mix and match. There's so many great flavors. They're all chocolate covered, they're all delicious. Get the ones that you want. You want to mix and match? You want a little bit of the raspberry, a little bit of German chocolate cake, mint brownie? You want to have the toffee? You want to, there's a banana bread one? There's, uh, there's, you name it. They're, okay, within reason. There's not like ham covered in chocolate, but you know, within reason. Order them, go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, and you will get a protein bar that has been approved by my sons. And let me tell you something they don't approve food lightly. Are you a picky eater? Yes, I am. That's right. He goes through his salad one leaf at a time and scrapes out anything he doesn't like. So if he doesn't like something, he doesn't eat it. And he ate some Built Bars. I can't think of a better endorsement than that. BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on. Hey, let me tell you something. I am in California, and you need to have a car in California. You just can't exist without a car. But even though I have one, I don't know much about them. I'm not a guy who knows the ins and outs of my wonderful car with its beautiful Washington State University sticker on it. And let me tell you something, that sometimes you see that stores that have parts for cars, they have different price tiers for professional mechanics 
or people like me who are sometimes a little lost in the woods? Well, this is where we talk about rockauto.com. Rockauto.com prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices available rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear. RockAuto.com is for everybody, from the gearheads to your pal Sully, who's a bit of a dunce and does not require membership or account login. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and for guys like me. Why spend twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. It's amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. My car with the Washington State Cougars sticker, I'm going to put parts in it from rockauto.com. I did this on Locked On MLB podcast. I did a trivia uh, a trivia game that we did, and yeah. I, wrote, I wrote the trivia questions. And I have for uh, an upcoming version, I have what I – some of the ones I thought were too, way too easy to throw your way because it's sort of like, I mean, I don't want to insult you. I don't want to you're insult killing. you. You're, you're just like, you know, at a time when none of our brains are functioning at full speed. But go ahead. Okay. These are three. The, the, the theme of this particular round of trivia is postseason. Post, mm-hmm. These are postseason ones here. Um, now, um, Okay, this one I actually had to double check. Only one Chicago batter, either Cubs or White Sox, has ever hit a walk-off postseason homer. Who was it? I was there, I believe. Uh, 2005 World Series, Scott Pasidnik. Yeah, that's right. Scott Pasidnik. I was there in the, in the mist at U.S. Cellular Field, I guess it was called then. And, and uh, surrounded by White Sox fans, so. All right. And, and how many home runs did he hit in the regular season? I don't believe he hit any, did he? Any, zero. He hit, yeah. two, he hit two in the postseason, including a walk-off homer. All I right. remember I was sitting next to my close friend, Dan Bullard, lifelong White Sox fan. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember his exact words after that happened. And uh, forgive me uh, in advance. He said, Scott fucking puts Hidnick <laughs> in disbelief. Okay. Well, okay. I knew these are, some of these are just layups for you. Okay. What future Hall of Famer threw a complete game victory to clinch the 1979 pennant for the Pittsburgh Pirates? Complete game 79, future Hall of Famer. Uh, it's it's clear. Like I am, I don't want to take too long with this because all of a sudden it's not fair. Uh, <laughs> Seventy-nine pirates. I'm picturing in the hat and the whole thing. Hit me. Who? Burt Blylevin. Burt Blylevin. Yeah, yeah. He, right. The pirates had acquired him from Texas, and he threw the complete game. Okay, now this. Really is, what do you say? 
Willie Montagnier is traded for him, I believe, right? Uh, you know what? You may get me on that one. All right. All right. So this is the one that for mere mortals, I'm calling the impossible final question. Oh. But, you, but you are not a mere mortal. You are Todd Radom. Okay. <laughs> Pressure. Okay. So the impossible final question. Will it be Todd Radom approved? Name all the franchises that Ricky Henderson played in the postseason with. In the postseason with. All right. Well, he starts his uh, career out in Oakland, played in the postseason with Oakland. Right? There's one. Gets traded to the Yankees. He does not appear in the postseason with the Yankees. That is correct. Traded back to Oakland. We went over that uh, territory. Uh, he does appear in the World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays. I was there for game six in 1993. Saw it with my own eyes. You are Forrest Gump. You keep showing up. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, you know, I've, I've lived a life, so. Uh, he then, I'm not going to do it because then all of a sudden things get nuts. He goes to, uh, in no consecutive order, he does go to San Diego. He appears with San Diego. Mm-hmm. That's three. Mets. 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 And there's a fifth one. Uh, and the Dodgers. Nope. Uh, it was not his nineteen. He did. He did play. He did play for the Dodgers, but not in the he postseason. He played the Dodgers. He played with the Red Sox. He played with the Anaheim Angels. Uh, did not appear with any of those teams. Uh, and do you know what I'll say? He scored the run in the series clinching walk off hit for this franchise. Give me a second here. I'm I'm like thinking geographically here. Where did he? Seattle? Bingo. Yeah. 2000. In 2000. And, and 2001, the Mariners win all those games. And that's another uh, place where I showed up. Uh, I was at game six at Yankee Stadium where they lose the ALCS. It was a huge surprise. And they have not been back to the postseason since. And I'm wearing a Mariner hat right now. But I'm, this, is not the, this is not the hat that Ricky wore or A-Rod or Ichiro. This is the... Alvin Davis, Mike Moore, um, who else was on that? Uh, uh, Harold Reynolds, Jim Presley, yeah. uh, Danny Tartable, Phil Bradley. Who else were on those Mariner teams? Billy Swift. Yes. Spike yep. Owen. Spike Owen, Dave Henderson, may he rest in peace. Yep. All those, all those players who wore the beautiful star hat. Well, look at. He's not wearing a hat right now, but he is a star, and you can hear him not just see his wonderful work all over the place, but you listen to the Baseball Tonight podcast from ESPN. He is a staple there, absolute staple there, and it's been my great pleasure to have you on the show. Todd, where can people see your stuff, buy your stuff? I'll put up a link to your book and everything, but where can, how can people support everything that's wonderful Todd Radom? Oh, thank you for asking, Silly. I, uh, my website, toddradom.com. That's T-O-D-D-R-A-D-O-M.com. Uh, everything kind of goes through there. I'm on Twitter, as you are. Uh, I will give a little plug. I got a, a new book coming out this fall. It is not about baseball. It is about hockey. I am co-writing it with my buddy Chris Creamer from the sportslogos.net website. We are just finishing it up right now. It's called Fabric of the Game. Wow. And which take a look at the looks and the names of every NHL franchise that ever played. 
So a little bit of a diversion from the national pastime, but a fun one. So there you go. I am, uh, I am ubiquitous, as we said at the beginning. Well, if you're a fan of the Cleveland Barons or the, uh, the, or the Golden Seals of Oakland, and uh, possibly my favorite uh, logo of all time of any sport right up there is the Quebec Nordiques, which I think ah. I absolutely love that. That's sort of that weird sort of almost abstract shape that sort of forms their logo. It's very something about Quebec being with the Expos and the Nordiques having these really eye-catching, take a moment to take a look at it before you realize what the hell you're looking at logos that both those teams have. I always love the Nordiques logo. You know what that is? I'm going to tell you something. I won't phrase it as a trivia question. Fair but enough. But I'll give everybody a little sneak preview of the book. Mm-hmm. That is an igloo that it's forms a lowercase n, an igloo. Really? You want, whoa! It's like the you star- learn something every day here. It's Come like on. the Stargate. Now it makes sense. It all locks into place. Perfect. Oh my God. Perfect. Yeah. Mind blown. Mind blown. Well, look at hey Todd Radom. This has been so great. Thanks for being so generous with your time and uh, you know stay safe. Good luck and thanks for being part of the podcast. Sully, thank you so much. What a pleasure. It's great catching up with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Todd Radom for being part of the podcast. Visit him at Todd Radom on Twitter. You can see all of his stuff. And by the way, listen to the Bull Durham Minute podcast. It's called Bull Durham Minute. Your pal Sully hosts that. And a lot of the guests on this show also appear on there. You can follow us on the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app and check out the other great shows at the Lockdown Podcast Network, including Lockdown Fantasy Baseball. Saying hi to Todd Radom. This is Lockdown MLB for the 19th day of June 2020. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.